Long now has mankind looked up to the skies and wondered if we are alone in this universe. Many miraculous things have been spotted all over the world, reported by our militaries, and sparked great debates amongst ourselves. I am here to tell you that ladies and gentlemen, people of Earth, brothers and sisters of all races, all countries, that we are not alone. We have never been alone. That some higher power has seeked to spread the gift of life throughout the universe and beyond all comprehension. It is in these times we must learn to love one another. We must not share hate, but joy. We must not inhibit, but we must grow. These beings are our friends. They are our family. They want to help us become better, to see the true potential of mankind. And for maybe one day, we will join them in their voyage to help other beings from other star systems. As shocking as this news may be, it is nothing new. Our governments of the world have known for quite some time that we are not alone in this universe, and we have had contact for many of years, slowly preparing the American public and the publics of the world for such a revelation. We are not alone, and we are about to embark on the greatest journey mankind has ever experienced. Ladies and gentlemen, we have contact. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Contact. I am Dakota. This is my co-host, Chris. And today we have, with all the questioning that we started before the show, we <laughs> forgot to do the one thing we were going to be going to ask. And Dave... How do we pronounce your last name? Hodrian. Hodrian. I'm often called Hodrian by a lot of people, but yeah. or just Hod for short. Yeah. <laughs> All right. With the Birmingham UFO group out of the UK, he has been telling us some very interesting information yeah. about some of the cases he's worked on. So well, to get it started off, Dave, how did you get started in this field? Well... Yeah, so I mean, I've, I've had an interest in the uh, subject of the, uh, I suppose, wider area of the, of the whole paranormal and mysteries of the world since quite an early age. I just remember reading books as a, you know, staying up late with a torch, reading on creeping myself yeah. out. Um, but I suppose in uh, early teens, I started to get into the UFO subject in a bit more depth, started to look into it and just realised just the amount of cases that were on record. And it just seemed fascinating to me. I thought these, these can't all be hoaxes. They can't all be uh, misidentifications. It's got to be really be something too, something concrete to the subject. Um, and then in, when I was about 16, started going to uh, conferences. I live in uh, Solihull, just south of Birmingham. And uh, the uh, late and great um, Graham Birdsall um, UFO magazine, um, probably the best UFO publication uh, at the time, uh, they started doing their yearly conferences in Solihull, which is absolutely brilliant. Yep. I wasn't driving at the time, but I could just get a bus in and, and go to that. <laughs> so that was the first, first time I started going to conferences. 
And it was really great just seeing researchers just talk about cases they were looking into, or sometimes you'd have experiences up there talking firsthand about things. Absolutely fascinating. And that kind of strengthened my views in the subject. But what got me into active investigation, I suppose, was the creation of a Birmingham UFO group itself. And the group uh, came into being in late 2007. And uh, I wasn't the original chairman of the group. It was uh, another couple of gents named Craig and Mark. Uh, they lived in uh, Quinton, uh, just an area of um, central Birmingham. And uh, I remember coming across it online and thinking, this is fantastic. There's a, there's a group within range I can go and meet up, meet yeah. with all the like-minded people, I'll have a good chinwag about the subject. Uh, so I started going down to that. Uh, me and my brother were two of the first kind of members to sign up for the group. And it soon became apparent to the chairman my knowledge of the subject and passion for it. And they, uh, they reached out to me to ask whether I'd, I'd be the official investigator for, for the group. Uh, it actually started as a, um, uh, as a case. There was, uh, there was a few young lads who'd come down to the group uh, meetings, uh, which just started in the corner of this pub. It was just a quick get-together. We'd just sit there, have a chat. Later on, uh-huh. they kind of a function yeah. room and started getting speakers and things. But, uh, yeah, they were there talking about a recent sighting that had happened to them in uh, Kings Winford, which is North Birmingham. And four of them had been out there and seen this um, fascinating close encounter with this uh, octagonal-shaped uh, UFO. And I thought it'd be amazing to kind of go out to the location where they'd had their sighting and, and see the location firsthand with them. So we arranged that, and then the chairman of the group came to me and said, look, do you want to do a proper report on this? Do you want to write it up for, for Bufog? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So that became my first case investigation, essentially. Yeah. And it was quite a good one, you know, to, straight in at the deep end. It was a good multiple witness sighting. And in speaking with the witnesses individually, one at a time, and getting them to all to draw uh, from yeah. them what they'd seen, without any prior warning that I was going to do this, it was obvious that they'd seen and described, describing the same thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, quite an unusual. I mean, it was a disc, but it was uh, octagonal shaped, which is interesting, wow. uh, yeah. with a number of white and red lights in the base of it. And it was quite an extensive sighting. It had gone over the woodland, over Kings Winford, and then carried away off into the distance. And they they observed it for up to half an hour, where it continued that's, in the distance. Yeah, uh, that's 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 absolutely amazing. That is, I mean. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the other cases you're working on now, some of the newer cases? Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I was just, uh, yeah, sorry, I was giving you a bit of background, wasn't I? Yeah. So in, um, a couple of years later, so I was the investigator for the group for a couple of years, and yeah. then in 2009 they handed over chairman responsibilities for me, at which point I continued to run Birmingham UFO Group yeah. uh, while continuing to be its lead investigator. And there's another couple of uh, gents have also taken on uh, as other investigators for the group over time, and they've picked up a few of the cases as well. But yeah. I suppose the majority of the cases that come my way, I still write up. Yeah. Um, I tend to kind of, I, I tend to delve into into the cases quite uh, in, in quite an in-depth way. I think it's important to leave no stone unturned and get yeah. the full facts about what's taken place. So I think people are sometimes surprised by the amount that I delve and the amount of questions yeah. I'll ask. And that's because it's very important to understand that the majority of UFO sightings are, are not alien craft. You know, there's a, a lot of misidentifications of mundane objects. Yeah. Um, and I'm very, I, I remain very grounded in the subject. I, I consider myself a very grounded researcher, but also open-minded enough to, to yeah. understand that this is real. It is going on on a global level. Um, you know, my views are absolutely that, we're, that we've got ongoing interaction 
between yeah. numerous different types or species, if you will, of uh, of advanced beings oh, yeah. that are oh, interacting yeah. with us regularly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I started, I've always been fascinated in the uh, contact area of the subject, especially. I think it gives us a window into what's taking place. Because uh, once you've got over the kind of idea of them being real and flying around in the skies, the next obvious question to ask is, what are they doing here? They're, not, they're obviously not just flying good. around randomly for years. Year. So, <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, and I believe that contact gives us a window into that. It you know, gives us a, a delve into what's actually taking place and why they're here and what they're up to. So I've always been fascinated in that particular angle of the subject. Uh, the case has just started to naturally come my way. Uh, you know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't long before I, uh, my first uh, contact case that I investigated was one from Bletchley on the outskirts of Milton Keynes. And mm-hmm. uh, we actually thought at the time that we actually had a, a landing spot. It was um, it mm-hmm. started with um, a number of strange lights that had been seen down over this farmer's field in the outskirts of where the gentleman lived uh, while he was out walking his dog. And uh, essentially, you could see his light swooping backwards and forwards across the field. Yeah, and then af- afterwards, he went back out to the location. He had some missing time as well on the evening, which was very, very confusing to him. Uh, very, very exciting in actual fact. It was interesting seeing that sort of firsthand for the first time and seeing how that was kind of deeply affecting him. Yeah. To him and one of his sons, about 15 minutes had gone by. Yeah, his partner. Yeah other sons who'd been at home and watched a film and they knew they'd been gone for 90 minutes yeah and he was trying to quantify that and it was you know it was fascinating just seeing that come out you know the kind of emotion that was coming out yeah. from you know disbelieving that that amount of time had passed and i was trying yeah. to explain to him you know this is an act you know a part of the ufo subject and some of his memories may be missing and it was mm-hmm. kind of very hard for him to kind of accept that at first but when he went out back out to the location um i think uh, the, uh, the sort of following morning came across this area in the field and it, it was this kind of roundish looking area and frost had formed on the ground. It was a winter right. once. And it was this obvious area where it just looked different. It just like the, the frost hadn't died out so much. That's, yeah. Kind of rounded area. And this is where he'd seen the lights over here. So we were like, is, you know, was this some kind of landing site? Um, and I went out and I checked it out and we, we took sort of samples away and everything, got those checked out in the lab and they didn't come back with anything out of the ordinary there was no kind of odd radiation or anything we eventually found out what that was in investigating it and starting to delve into that uh, i was asking around various farmers who, who you know own the fields in the areas and we found mm-hmm. out one of the farmers that he'd done uh, uh, some water logging in the field which is essentially where they're they're checking to see the um uh, see how much water the field will take before yeah. it starts to flood so they purposely flooded this one spot yeah so the the ground was wetter so it froze mm-hmm. and that created you know, and that was rather upsetting to the witness because he thought that because we'd ex- we'd explained that aspect of his case, that that meant that there was you know a problem with the case. Yeah. I had to yeah, say to absolutely that. not. You know, we've explained that, but you still got the you still got the lights themselves yeah. that were performing very very odd manoeuvres that didn't fit with people with torches or anything like that. Uh, he had abduction memories that that came back later on as flashbacks to him. Uh, I actually worked with a uh, regression hip. I still do. I work with a, gr- a regression hypnotherapist here in mm-hmm. Solihull. At the time, I was working with another chap from London, and we actually drove drove him down to London to be hypnotised. Mm-hmm. And some further details came out in that, in which he he saw him and his son lying down on these flattened benches yep. in this orange glowing area. There were a number of humanoid like figures around them, and this kind of led back to the trauma that he was experiencing, you know, subconsciously. 
uh, it was kind of because his son was there and he was protective towards what was going on with his son and he couldn't understand why all these emotions were coming out and it was a kind of I mean, I, I know that some people uh, dismiss hypnotic regression, yeah, and, you know, obviously it has been scientifically proven, absolutely, that you can implant yeah. false memories with hypnotic well, regression. Yes, you can, yes. That's not the point, you know, the point is that the regression hypnotherapist does not do that. All they're doing is asking what happened next, what happened next, and they're taking the details. The details are coming from mm -hmm. them. Uh, I've sat in now on about uh, 15, 20 or so regressions over the years, and... Um, they haven't always worked. Sometimes you know, nothing comes out. Sometimes there's a few odd little snippets that come out. Other times we've had absolutely brilliant results off it yeah. where they'll fill in blanks of, of me memories that were largely conscious and they're just filling in the gaps or sometimes yeah. uh, breaking past uh, screen memories, which you've probably had people talk of before. It's a particular aspect of, these, uh, of the subject which fascinates me. Uh, for any of your listeners, uh, what we mean by that is essentially whether beings change their appearance of either themselves or the uh, interior or sometimes the exterior of the craft and make it look like something completely different because um, uh, you know, they're doing that telepathically. Uh, there's various reasons for why they might be doing that. My own personal thoughts is it, is it to calm the individual down? It's kind of like they go memory fishing and choose something that's more familiar to the individual. Mm -hmm. It's... Wow. Uh, I've dealt with some cases where it hasn't even been a live figure, where it's been a cartoon, like something they used to watch as a child and things yeah. like that. It's absolutely fascinating. It's uh, uh, my God, man! You you have got so much. No, you have got so much noise. I'm sitting here just absorbing. My own experiences. I was like, okay, how much did I actually see, or how much were they just screwing with me? Yeah. yeah. So that's the problem. That's a, a lot of the researchers in the contact field. Yeah, they'll avoid the abduction phenomenon, and that's because there's all sorts of very, very hard to explain elements to it. There's all sorts of oddness that happens with it. You've got time distortion. You've got people acting in unusual ways, acting overly complacent uh, and familiar to the experience. Uh, there's all sorts of oddities with it, and one of those is, of course, screen memories. And the problem is that we're no longer talking about just people seeing just the beings how, as they are or just the interior of the craft. I've dealt with cases where the, where the individual uh, remembered being in a hospital bed surrounded by human doctors. The only oddity was they know that they've never gone in for any operation and their family confirmed yeah. you've never had any operations, you've never been to hospital. But that see, that's, memory was from something else. See, I've always got I've, one of my abductions, I've always had this memory of being in this weird room. And the aliens were standing above me, but there were humans there too. Yes. And that's all. It always plays back. So it, it makes you wonder: the day, the day, maybe implant that to make yeah. me feel at ease. Yeah. The, the way I the way I see those cases, yeah, often, often refer uh, called my labs course because they involve people in military uniform. I don't know if they yeah. were you or not. But um, uh, and a lot of people believe that that may lead to you know the idea that the military are kind of working behind the scenes in, to some regards with some of these things, and maybe that's maybe that's the case, and maybe not. Now, but it, it is interesting if you if you're seeing some of the beings as alien and other ones as human, because yes. if they're on screen memory, why would they only put a screen memory onto some of them and not others? Yes. Yeah, but it's a very it's very you have to remember not to humanise the subject. You know, a lot of people kind of tend to think, well, we wouldn't act like that, so therefore that's illogical. Well, we're not talking about humans. They've got their own agendas and they've got their own ways of acting. They're a different species entirely, so the, yeah. the rules are, you know, are out the window largely with it. Well, that, well, that's actually a good point you brought up. What do you actually think they're here for? What do you think? Do you think they're 
What do you think they're here for? Um, well, I, I believe that what's going on with the contact subject is a uh, yeah. an ongoing program. I think it's been going on a long time. There's no signs of it coming to any close. Uh, as a number of elements come out again and again with it, um, obviously uh, very, very interested in, in our genetics and will sometimes follow family bloodlines over numerous generations. Usually you can trace it up one side of the family tree so you can actually see, you know, that they're following a particular genealogy. Um, then you've got the uh, the hybrid uh, program as part of that, dealt with uh, lots of cases involving um, more female than the male ratio in terms of the numbers of people, at least from the cases I've dealt, dealt with. But I have dealt with uh, males who've been involved in the hybrid program as well, where they appear to be mixing their, their genes with, with alien. For nobody, I mean, so you, you may have your own views on why they're doing that. Uh, yeah. Many people, I, I tend, I, I have to remain level, you know, in terms of the, the details that come out in the cases I've, I've investigated, because there's all sorts of theories about why they're doing that. Maybe they're going to populate another planet elsewhere. Uh, some people take a very alarmist view on it and say that they're going to kind of replace the human race and wipe us all out yeah. at some point with them. Um, and those different views are, are all, uh, you know, yeah. are all valid at the moment because, yeah. But but I think I don't sense much malevolence from the subject. I think it's more kind of. A lot of the fear that comes from it, I think, is more kind of misunderstanding because of the way that the beings a lot of the time are very cryptic, won't say much at all or won't say anything to the person. And they're in an environment that they can't explain. A lot of the time they're paralyzed. Very terrifying experience, you know, when you're not told why it's happening. And I think that a lot of the fear comes from that. Although, you know, I'm I'm not trying to dismiss, you know, if there are people out there listening who've had very negative experiences. Mm -hmm. I've dealt with uh, contactees who, you know, had long-term depression from this, been on the verge of suicide with it. I've dealt with cases where people have lost their marriages and things because of it. It's a very serious side of the subject that you only see as as an investigator. And it pains me when, uh, you know, they kind of joke about the subject of contact on TV and that because I know the true nature of it and the way that it can genuinely affect people on a very deep emotional level. Oh, would you go to court? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> There's just a lot I'm taking in. Like I said, I'm still cross-checking a lot of minds. Like, uh, experience. Yeah. Yes. But we do yeah. have a question from the chat that I think oh, that's right. just a bit different. Do, do abducted people mention about the blue beam that appears? Okay, um, so sometimes you get beams of light involved in, a lot of the time that seems to be kind of coming from an actual craft, like let's say they're being taken from their room at night, yeah, they may see a beam of light coming either through the ceiling or or through the window into the room, and a lot of the time they then literally lift off the bed or whatever, float through the window or sometimes through the ceiling, uh, and they can see that they're in a beam being lifted up into a craft. A lot of the time, the uh, the memories of that will be blocked out. In actual fact, it happens so regularly, it's being coined a uh, travel amnesia. So um, because a lot of the time they'll be in their bed, they might see some light or something or some sort of anomaly, and then the next thing they know, bang, and they're and they're aboard the craft. So they're, they're missing the actual travel. But I've dealt with uh, new, you know, many cases over the years where people have remembered the travel. In actual fact, in some cases, it leads people to have uh, vertigo because they uh, they actually remember seeing themselves floating, you know, right up above the house, hundreds of feet, and that's led to them having a, a fear of heights. And I think those kind of ongoing phobias that come from it are some of the evidence towards it being a real thing. Because why would you have an ongoing? I mean, we all have dreams. We dreams about all sorts of things over the years. 
but oh yeah, don't <laughs> yeah. Tend to affect you on a long term basis. Even horrible nightmares you might have, you know, yes. within hours of waking up and realizing, oh, it's just a nightmare. Everything goes back to normal, doesn't it? But with contact again and again, these experiences yes. deeply affect people for years to come, and they can remember stuff that's happened. I was talking with a gentleman a number of weeks ago. He had an experience when he was eight years old. He remembers it crystal clear like it happened yesterday. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't strike me that he'd had just a, a nightmare and uh, it had affected his life so much and he still remembers it in such crystal clear detail. Yeah, I so, mean, usually with dreams, you can forget about them after a couple yeah. of days, but with yeah. my memories, and obviously with Dakotas too, I can play them back. I can, I can, all the way back to maybe 10 years ago, I can, I can remember what yes. happened that night. And that's, it's maybe, it's made me, I don't know, it's just, I can remember it to the, to the T, to the 100%. Yeah. And I think that's, pr- that's probably my, my view on that is because it's so out of the ordinary. You know, you remember it as something special that's happened, something that's outside of your normal everyday life. So because of that, it has a, it leaves a lasting imprint on you. And a lot of the time, obviously, it can leave a lasting imprint where, where you've got missing time involved. So a lot of the experience has been blanked out, yeah, or even all of it sometimes. Um, that, again, can leave a lasting impression, but it's on a subconscious level. So a lot of the people I've spoken with over the years, have, they may have a particular fear of going back to a particular location. And for a number of years, they don't even understand why they're terrified of that location. They just know that something has happened, but they don't even know what. And then later on, they'll remember it and have a have some kind of trigger experience. And sometimes that trigger can be really, really random. In actual fact, sometimes it's involved with moving away from the location a great case in point, an absolutely stunning case I dealt with, is actually from here in Birmingham. And this is, a, I take it right back to about 2000 and, um, mm-hmm. 2011 or 12, I think I investigated this one. Uh, and it, the incident itself happened some point between 1999 and 2003. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're probably thinking, well, if it's a real case, surely the witness can get a closer, you know, than just four years. Yeah. And there's a very valid mm-hmm. reason for that now. This involved a flying triangle, one of the uh, more more commonly reported um, craft types, you would say. And it took place in Erdington, which is an area of uh, just in, right up in the centre of, of Birmingham. So we're talking about proper urbanised residential yeah. area. And um, it happened from the gentleman's own street. It was him and his friend, and they'd gone out late evening, just out walking. On the opposite side of the road to where they lived, I think it was Hope Street, if I remember correctly, on the opposite side, there was an open area of kind of grassland, just kind of mm-hmm. which they called the tip. Um, and they essentially saw three lights coming in from the distance, three red lights in a triangular formation. Right. They saw them at a distance. And they started doing this weird wobbling kind of thing, um, sort, of, sort of distortion effect coming off it. And looking at it, thinking, what on earth is that? comes closer and everything is coming in their direction and they as it gets nearer they realize it, it's not a normal aircraft in any shape or form it was a uh, essentially a flying triangle uh, very uh, black or very 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 dark blue yes. um, red lights in the no central light mm-hmm. but a red light at each of the three corners on the base uh, the thing comes in silently and comes down and essentially lands in the road in front of them it's only a few it doesn't touch ground it's a, you know hovering about a foot off the ground um, and one of the two witnesses remembered it making this very kind of low humming sound. It was kind of a rhythmic kind of wow wow sort of sound. Mm-hmm. The other one didn't remember that at all. Now, this is really interesting because the one that did remember the sound coming from it, he actually had flashbacks later on 
and remembered himself being a lot younger in his room. He thinks he was about 10 or something, sitting on his bed and hearing the same sound. It was kind of like a subconscious memory to something that happened earlier in his life. In you past, know, yeah. time he heard the yeah. sounds. Anyway, this thing is, you know, it's within a stone's throw of them and they're just standing there. The dog's down by the side. Dog doesn't seem to be reacting too badly to it, but after a while it runs and it runs right past this craft and sort of runs off back towards his house here. Yeah. The thing then takes off silently and goes and hovers over his, over the roof of the house, kind of stops a few seconds and then moves off silently behind. They chase it down one of the side roads to keep watching it and it's just totally gone, yeah, as they do a lot of the time, they'll tend to vanish exactly when you're not looking at them, and that, ha- and again, that happens so regularly that it can't just be a coincidence, but that's getting into an- another aspect of the subject, yeah, so anyway, they run down the street, and it's totally gone, they turn back round, <clears throat> and they remember kind of going back to their houses, they think, yeah, they wake up in the morning, they can't remember it at all, memory's completely oh, gone, yeah. Right, this took place outside their own house here. They stay there a number of years in the area, walking exactly the same location where this thing mm-hmm. had been seen, and it do- it doesn't even subconsciously, you know, they don't have any reaction yeah. to it. The dog remembers it. The dog will not go across the area where where it had been before, and they didn't know oh. why. But the dog, you know, they knew something was up with the dog, but they didn't know what. The memories have been completely lost. And you're probably thinking, well, how are you telling how are you telling me about this case then? If, if I didn't mm-hmm. remember. How do you know the details? But what happened is one of the witnesses um, he used to come down Bluefog to our, our meetings uh, quite regularly. He moved away from the area, moved address, yeah. And soon after he moved address, it came back to him, yeah. Now uh, there was there wasn't any particular trigger, so I can only assume that it was the fact that he was no longer near the area. But it came back to him like any, like any other memory would, like thinking about something. Maybe he'd gone on holiday. Yeah years ago and you remember it and all of a sudden he remembers this black triangular thing landing yeah in the road and he was like how did i forget that so he rings up his friend and he's like do you remember that triangular thing that we saw come down and then that triggers his friend and his friend can then remember it and his friend like yeah how did i forget and it was kind of him talking about now i've dealt with a number of cases where exactly the same thing has happened you know and i don't you know i think that's a valid aspect of the subject so i think that they are actively blocking the memories out now quite often that involves contact the the landing craft didn't there was no occupants came out or anything like that didn't appear to be any missing time as such but the whole memory was missing but when they remember the incident they don't remember going aboard the craft or anything like that but then you've got the thing with the sound with them remembering it back to a previous time so i thought that maybe one of the witnesses was a contactee maybe his friend was just there happened to be there as another witness uh, and it was kind of focused on the one. Uh, I don't think any abduction took place at that time unless it was blocked out even deeper and they had complete no memory uh, of that at all. But who's to say for sure? This is the yeah. thing. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, that's the main case. that is absolutely fascinating. I don't know if you'll notice in the chat or not, uh, a couple of people are getting an EMF spike. I mean, we we this happens to us quite a lot. We've always got EMF meters running. Right. And... Uh, Parapost Network, um, Brian, his his EMFs spiking, and so is Dakota's, and it's always when we're talking about these individuals, these entities, whoever they are, Interesting. it goes off the scale because we've we've actually tested it. We've put the the EMF up and down the computers <laughs> and phones, and nothing happens. But yeah. as soon as you start talking about this subject, it's as if yeah they're listening in because um, some yeah. of the people in here, a lot of people in here are ghost hunters. Professional yeah. ghost hunters, and they're picking up like tones hmm. coming through. 
And uh, I think another thing that I found interesting is that when I go to record just a random live, no pre-recording whatsoever, mm-hmm. there's been several times people have noticed that when I start to have a bit of a stutter, it's almost like I can hear something interrupting me. I don't hear it at the time, but then I go play it back. There's voices. The one of the most recent recordings that should be on this channel you can hear what sounded like CE5 tones going off. Yes. Yeah. I was not playing the app. No. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? There is a lot of crossover with the contact field and the paranormal field, yeah. I think that any researcher who doesn't take that on board is being unrealistic about what's going yeah. on with the subject. In about, eight, I'd say about 85, I did actually do an official counter number years ago off the cases I had at the time, and it was about 85%, I think. 85% of the cases I'd looked into, the individuals who'd had contact experiences had also had experiences that you would usually consider to be linked with, say, poltergeist activity. Yeah. Now, that's far too high, it's far too much of a, a coincidence. Yeah, it's far too high a percentage for that to be a coincidence. Um, there's a direct link there. Exactly what that is. I've got my views again. Now, you know, I don't pretend to have all the answers. You know, I just look at the, I look at what I've seen over the years regarding the subject, the cases I've dealt with directly. But my view is that the, in, uh, in having contact, the individual's psychic type senses, six, six senses are kind of uh, elated from having these experiences. And that makes them more prone to having paranormal type incidents happen. Now, it might yes. be this way around, you know, it might be that the person has these abilities from birth, and maybe that's why the beings are particularly interested in them and they're being taken. But I've dealt with lots of cases where people haven't had psychic-type abilities and yet are still experiencers. So, yeah, it's, there's no there's no definite rules which happens 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing we've been exploring a lot lately is... Uh, when it comes to people who have frequent experiences, one of the theories that's out there is that if you happen to have O negative blood, chances are you'll be abducted more as well as have more spiritual and psychic inclinations. Yes. Are you yourself seeing anything about that? No. Well, I mean, the thing is, I, 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 I've heard this before, the blood group thing, yeah, but I've spoken with lots of contactees who haven't got that blood group. You know, so, it's again, it's not, it's not as much of a pattern uh, I, I usually ask people what their blood type is. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they know. Sometimes they don't even know. I, I, I yeah. don't remember what mine is. To be fair, thinking about it, <laughs> a lot of it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, you uh, forget. You it, or you forget all about. It. Kind of like national insurance number. You know, some people will remember it off by heart. Other people will be like, "What was that?" Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Again, there's no definite, clear links. All you can see is the similarities in cases of things that happen again and again and again. Um, say, for example, the environmental aspects of the subject, the environmental warnings that people get, again, yes. happens too commonly for it not to be a factor. But does it always happen? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, but in many cases, the beings will show people things. either, And it's not even like the same way, so it's not always a, a telepathic uh, direct kind of vision inside their brain. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's shown to them on a physical screen. At least that's how they're remembering it, you know? But then you've got the screen memory thing, so maybe it is in their head, but they think they're looking at a physical screen. It's very complex. But either way, they're shown kind of images of you know, bombs exploding, uh, forest fires, this sort of thing. seems to imply that the beings are kind of caring about our planet and uh, and uh, and destruction of our planet or destruction of the human race or a bit of both. Yeah. But the thing is, is that for their benefit or is it for ours? 
this is the problem. Yeah. Oh, that. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? I was just, what, what they want, the human race, I mean, I think I know what they want. I think there's a lot of hybrids on Earth. Uh-huh. I will say this, I think, I think there's a lot of people that's been genetically modified and changed by them. Yes. I think they're maybe trying to change the human race, and I don't yes. know why. Yes. There's a, I think they've got a plan for us, mm-hmm. but what is that plan? I yeah. mean... It, it could be anything they want to come eventually make us slaves. I mean, if you believe the if you believe the the old tales of you know what humans were, they were basically slaves to the alien races that came before. Mm. It, and that makes me wonder why the only folk. That, I mean, there's actually a question in the chat, Drew's mm. paranormal vlog. Is there any anything you see in common common with the abductees? Would you say there's anything let's say They've got the same of, you know, see what I'm trying to say? God. Um, yeah, well, not with all of them, again. There's never there's never any definite thing that happens 100% of the time, yeah. But a lot of contactees, experiences, whatever you want to call them, abductees, whatever, you know, by that yeah. I mean lots of different terms for the same thing, yeah. Um, a lot of them get more kind of uh, aware of, uh, of the environment. Uh, a lot of them might become sort of vegetarian or care more for the planet and this sort of thing. And that seems to be kind of a, kind of a side effect of things. Um, there's the, uh, in the stunning case, the uh, Aero School sighting in, in Zimbabwe that occurred, uh, which yes, you're aware of with the, uh, with the school children. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the being they saw, which was a, a grey, you know, projected images into their minds again about this kind of uh, danger of technology and of destroying the Earth's natural resources. Uh, very, very interesting. And, that, and they're projecting that at a bunch of kids, and you have to wonder why, you know, why those particular children. Now, what's interesting is you think well if they if they understand the way that the human race works, which I probably do because you know they had they, they seem to be quite advanced intelligent. Yeah. So why are they not going to uh, the heads of our governments, people that can actually make genuine changes? It seems to be that they reaching out to these random people with random backgrounds. To what end? It's hard to say. Um, many experiences kind of believe that we're being kind of led to something that's coming in the future at some point, but at yes. what point? It's, it's, very, it's very hard to quantify. No, some people have tried setting particular kind of dates, but they've come and gone, as you know, like the good old yes. first, uh, May in uh, I mean, 2012. I mean, I, I do believe they're, they're pushing us in a certain direction yeah. for some reason. And a yes. lot of people say, oh, something's coming, disclosure's coming. What is your thoughts on disclosure? Do you think we'll actually ever get the truth from the governments? Uh, I think the... I think I, I want to. I want to hope that that we get full disclosure. Yeah, I I think that there's it's a very very big can of worms. A very big oh, can yeah. of worms. This is the problem. Yeah, because it's like what we're talking about right now. Yeah, it's a lot more than them just flying around. Yeah, it's very easy for the governments to say they're real. They're here. Mm-hmm. UFOs are real. They're flying around. Yeah. What they're doing? Oh, they're taking people from their own homes. Uh, yes. They're taking people while they're out driving or when they're out walking in the country or whatever. Uh, are they are they asking them permission? No, no, they're not. No, they're just doing this whenever they feel like it. Uh, can you actually stop them doing this? Uh, no, we can't do anything about it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, they can also control our nuclear warheads and switch them on and off at will. Uh, and also uh, very likely to be at least certain groups uh, mutilating animals and sometimes humans around the planet. There's, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of dark elements to the subject 
that the um, that they wouldn't want to reveal to the public, because even though we, we say that oh yeah we could cope with it, you know a lot of people genuinely couldn't cope with it. Couldn't. Yeah, I think there'd be hysteria if yeah. it's commit because you think about it, you, the government's obviously covered this up for a long time, right? Yeah. If they need to come out and say or oh, aliens exist, right? Yeah. It makes me wonder what else has the government been covering up. Absolutely. What else? Yeah. And then it's going to it's, the people is going to look at the government and say, "You've been lying to us, basically," yeah. and it's going to get them into Absolutely. all sorts of trouble. Mm-hmm. Now they've already kind of gone back on that a bit in the, in the states, obviously, over what's happened since 2017. It's very, very interesting to uh, for them to acknowledge the, the you know, and they have in the UIP report that came out last year, which incidentally made very little news in the UK, sadly, didn't it? Uh, you know, it was in a few newspapers. A lot of people I speak with about it, they, they weren't even aware. It kind of passed them by. I'm, I'm like, this is big news in the UFO world. This is very big news. Uh, have they said that they're alien? Absolutely not. Have they admitted that there are vehicles flying around massively manoeuvring um, yeah, ahead of their of, of American military? Yes, they have. They've said that in, in actual wording. Calling them vehicles, not calling them misidentified balloons or anything. There are objects flying around. Uh, you know, they've, they've got the foreign tech out uh, angle in there, haven't they? That's their kind of get out clause. Oh, it's yeah. not ours, but it could be Chinese or it could be Russian. What's the likelihood? Yeah, right. These these things are seen all over the world. Yeah, all all mm-hmm. governments and all military around the world are looking into these things. There are cases from China and from Russia. Uh, it's mm-hmm. going up across there, just the same as it is in the states and the UK and everywhere else. Um, I can't believe that they have created technology that far advanced. Yes. Really secret, with no leaks at all, incidentally. Nobody's come out and sort of said, yes, I work for this project, and, yeah, in, and here's the details, here's the files. None of that's come out. And that's because it's not from any any particular country. It's from outside. Now, they can't it's say close, it, yeah. or they could say it, but they, they're not saying it at the moment. But they're certainly massively hinting it. And the main people involved in that, uh, and I'm talking uh, primarily Chris Ma- Christopher Mellon and, um, and Lou Elizondo, yeah, they've both made numerous comments regularly, uh, on, on podcasts and on TV programs, essentially saying it's not foreign tech. You know, they don't believe for a second that it's foreign tech. And they've, they've said that that would be a very uh, narrow-minded viewpoint to have to think that it could be foreign tech because I mean, of what it's doing. I mean, it, it makes you wonder what the US government, let's take them for instance, have got stored away somewhere. It may, The yeah. technology that they have got from these entities, for a reason, because let's face it, they've probably turned around and said, yeah, you can take our human population, do tests on them, stuff like that, but we want technology, and that's how they're getting the, the technology. Absolutely. And this has come yeah. from, uh, I mean, crashes right right back to, uh, of course, infamous, uh, the infamous case, Roswell, you know, and I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to bring up Roswell too much because I'm sure, you know, people are sick and tired of hearing about Roswell. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's an absolutely stellar case. It's, it's uh, mm-hmm. the amount of witnesses that have gone on testimony with deathbed confessionals, etc. I've, I've got no doubt in my mind at all that that was a crashed craft with, with occupants. Um, and and I, I think that the, the testimony on record is extremely compelling. Uh, to back that up. Uh, I actually saw a TV program very recently on that where they were testing them with new AI technology. I don't know if you saw this one, where they had mm-hmm. a, uh, it's kind of like lie detection uh, done by artificial intelligence through a computer. Mm-hmm. And they were analysing some of the old videos of the witnesses talking about the the beings that they'd seen and the, and the craft and everything. Yeah. And in over, uh, I think it was kind of over 90% or something of the witnesses, had, uh, you know, it detected as true. Now, obviously, there's, there's kind of, 
there's a problem with that in the same way that there is with you know standard lie detectors. Yeah. It's not 100% infallible. But the fact that it, this AI that's brought out now, looking at old videos from years ago, was detecting them still as, as telling the truth is fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very, very good. Um, so I think that, and I think part of the thing with Roswell is the fact that even today, um, you know, the, the president could go and ask for the files on Roswell. And we'll hit a brick wall, which President Clinton, you know, famously tried to do. And he, he said that, you know, he wasn't allowed to know. Yeah. Now, why on earth, yeah, would they cover up? Let's say it was some sort of top secret, you know, yeah. mobile or whatever. Yeah. Let's say it was that. Yeah. Which it wasn't. But let's say it was. Yeah. Why on yeah. earth would they cover that up from a president asking about it 70 or 80 years later? It makes absolutely no sense. So that there will tell you that there's something very, <laughs> very, you know, big. Went down. Yes, I mean. I've always, I've always believed the story. I mean, I find it very interesting that happened where they were testing the, t- the nuclear weapons. Oh yeah. I, f- yeah, I, f- I find, I find that, yeah, yeah, I find that, I think that had something to do with the crash. Absolutely. You think about it, these aliens or, or whoever they are, interdimensional aliens, beings, they've, they've came all this way to crash on Earth? No. They've came all this way, something's happened when they've been doing whatever they've been doing. That ship's went yeah. down. Yeah. I mean, Dakota, what's the story on it? You were telling us about it actually. It was young. It's meant to be young aliens that were driving it, basically. Yeah, one of the alleged conspiracies was that the inhabitants of the Roswell craft were essentially their equivalent of teenagers out for a joyride that got disrupted somehow and ended up crashing. Yeah. And they say that they found this out because one survived, but later succumbed to his injuries. Mm. But obviously, with stories like that, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Yes. Yeah, it's quite a lot. I mean, quite some of the some of the key witness testimonies you know, back that up that there was one alive and they were showing the soldiers it and things to see how they react. Um, you know, it's very very kind of believable when you see the testimonies back to back that seem to correlate one another. Um, but I mean, my own viewpoint on that, and this is just a viewpoint, is. is probably one of the sort of more commonly held viewpoints uh, that they got struck by a you know, lightning strike because of the, the major storm that had happened the, the evening before, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that back then maybe they weren't prepared to handle a, a direct strike and what that would do. Or maybe they maybe they had their craft in a certain, you know, it was it was in a certain state where they could mm-hmm. be, you know, where if that happened it would have, have knock-on effects and, and cause a crash. Uh, who knows, you know, for definite. But it's just, it, it's an interesting coincidence that there was this big storm. And of course there's one witness from back there who actually claimed to see you know an object on fire crossing the sky across Roswell town you know on that evening you know the first essentially could have been the first witness to the crash uh, but yeah I mean talking about UFO crashes I mean should I, would you listeners like to oh. hear about a, a recent crash yes, much more recent crash yeah? yes so, please this is one that unless you follow my group and read my case reports you won't have heard of before because it's right. never been released before and uh, this case came my way about six months ago now, and it involves a farmer from Devon. Um, and back in 1976 or 75, I think it was, uh, there was a uh, farming crash essentially. Uh, you know, your stock, stock market plummeted, and um, mm-hmm. they, you had to look around for other work essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. So he, he was checking in um, the Farmers Weekly magazine and um, came across this advert in there saying that uh, they were after a uh, cattle ranch farmer uh, to go and work in Venezuela, in the jungles of Venezuela. And uh, he didn't have many ties at the time to the UK, so he decided to go for it. And he moved out to um, he moved out there in 1976 uh, and started sort of cattle, cattle farming. 
Uh, and within a year of, uh, of being there, he actually had an, uh, another un- unconnected UFO sighting of this uh, multicolored glowing uh, object, flashing multicolored lights that came down across the sky outside the ranch. Um, there was just a kind of, it, it's unrelated, but he had that sighting. But I'm going to fast forward 20 years. Mm-hmm. He's been out there a good while. And now it's ni- 1996, summer of 96. And by this time, he's made kind of a head ranch hand yeah he's in charge of one of his ranches right. uh, and he backs all this up by the way uh, it was all backed up with he sent me his official id and everything so he is who he says he is his, uh, his background completely checks out okay so he owned this cattle ranch in an area called coralito uh, in the in the middle of venezuelan jungle um had a few kind of uh, groupings of, uh, of buildings a kind of central hq uh, that had an airstrip where you know sort of planes that occasionally come into land mm-hmm. and every night um uh, he'd go to the outer edges of the um, uh, of the ranch to to, uh, to close the main gates. Yeah, it was quite dodgy working out there because people, there'd be kidnappings and things in the area. So it's actually quite a dangerous place to actually work. Yeah. Um, so they had to make sure that every evening the uh, the gates were were fully locked up. Yeah. Um, sorry, I said it was summer '96. Didn't I? Oh no, was that maybe it was the previous one? Sorry. This, yeah, this took place around the Christmas period of 1996. Okay, uh, and uh, a lot of the ranch uh, hands had gone home for the uh, Christmas holidays. Uh, so remaining on the ranch was him, uh, his two stepbrothers, and uh, some other cowboys to, to look right. after the, uh, the animals on the ranch. Anyway, they um, so they get in their truck and they drive out to the um, to the edge of the ranch. And, it, and then to do so, they go past their airstrip, yeah, that's kind of, you know, closed down for the uh, Christmas holidays. So they hadn't had any planes come into land at that point. So they move out to the edge of the ranch. It was, a, you know, a good drive out there, you know, a good kind of sort of 20 or 30 minute drive out to the edge. So it's quite a large, the ranch is quite a large area of land. Yeah. Right. Um, at the at the gate, at the kind of northwest side, there's a um, there's somebody there at the gate, a gate guard and everything, but it wasn't his job to properly lock up the gates. He just kind of keep watch. So they had a good old chat with him about half an hour, and then they start heading back. So uh, him, his stepbrothers, and a few other farmhands have come along for the ride in their pickup truck. Yeah, so they're big, you know, six six witnesses to this, and they're on the way back, uh, and the sun's just. Very, you know, just starting to kind of set in the sky. Um, uh, obviously, by that time, it's kind of about mid-evening, so the sun's going down because of the time of year, yeah. Um, anyway, they, they get back to where the airstrip is, and they're driving along sort of past the edge of the, of, the, of the airfield, and all of a sudden, there it is, yeah, comes in from the left of their vision. What they described seeing was a glowing yellow cylindrical-shaped object he thinks it had white portholes along it. He could see one clearly. He thinks there might have been others, but covered by the, the, the glow of this thing, yeah. No wings, no tail. Uh, and don't forget, they were very familiar with you know, with knowing how aircraft looked at different distances because they owned they the airstrip, yeah. So they're used to seeing aircraft come and go at various times of day. Mm-hmm. This was very, very low, yeah. He estimates it was about sort of 50 foot off the ground, yeah. So way, way too low for a plane to be flying at, yeah. And it was oh, yeah. moving dead slow. It was moving sort of no, no faster than 20 mile an hour, which again is too slow for a plane to fly at and keep yes. airborne. So this thing's moving along like this. Like it's long, just cylindrical yellow glowing thing with these white portholes on it. As it comes across in front of their vision, they pull up the pickup truck and they're getting out and they're standing next to the pickup truck watching this thing fly in front of them. Uh, you know, no, you know, about sort of hundred or so yards ahead of them. Um, so it's quite close, you know, quite close enough to see it in detail. Uh, as it kind of comes ahead of them, all of a sudden, bursts into flames. Flames start ejecting from one end. Okay. All object, yeah. It continues floating along completely silently with flames running over its surface, yeah. And it starts moving off into the distance, yeah. 
they keep watch of this, and it, as it's moving away, it kind of heads over this area of jungle around the edge of the ranch, kind of near out, um, this kind of very, very thick jungle out near the edge. And it was near the kind of uh, ranch boundaries. And all of a sudden, the thing breaks up into three chunks without any kind of explosion type sound or anything. It was certainly within range. If there had been an explosion, they would have heard it. Uh, you know, with, you know, it was within a couple of miles easy of them. Uh, it broke up into three chunks, and the three chunks kind of on fire still, kind of rained down into the trees below. Now, unfortunately, very, very thick jungle out there. You know, so I say, you know, what would you do? You'd go straight out there, wouldn't you, and try and find the bits. Oh, yeah. But he said that because of the, uh, the overgrowth at the time, it was just really, really thick vine growth and everything. We're talking about dense jungle trees here. Um, and they weren't actually able to get out to the location. There were no roads leading into it. You know, it's a kind of different world out there. So they knew that these bits had come down, but they couldn't go out to, you know, they couldn't drive out to where where they thought that the bits had, yeah. uh, had ended up. Uh, so they went essentially went back to the kind of main HQ and sort of started mm-hmm. talking about it. Yeah. So that night and everything, that's the end of that, what happens on that evening. Following day, they got the radio on. They just had the radio on at the HQ, just listening into local news. And there's a news report. And the news report is from uh, an, uh, an aircraft that had had to make an emergency landing at San Fernando. Well, San Fernando is a larger town off to the uh, southeast of Coralito. Okay? Yes. Uh, it had to make an emergency landing because they'd seen a glowing object come past their plane, uh, flew past their plane and flew n- in a north direction. Uh, and they'd actually kind of diverted and landed, you know, because it spooked them so much. Um, so this came out of the radio, and so they're, they're thinking, you know, this could could have been the same thing. It's glowing, seen by an aircraft, yeah? So you kind of think, yeah, there's something else going on in the area uh, on the day, and they've reported the same day that they'd seen it. This is It was heading north, and it was off to the right-hand side. They'd seen it come in from this direction. Right. There, yeah. um, however, there was even further links. What happened was the, the farmhands, when they came back from their holidays, you know, from sort of New Year and everything, they came back to the ranch, and uh, some of them lived in a village uh, called Guatemala. I think it was called Guatemala. Uh, it's off to the off to the east of Calisa Ranch, uh, essentially, mm-hmm. right where this object, the aircraft, would have it would have ended up. Yeah, if it carried on going north, it would have headed over this. Now, numerous people yeah. in the village reported seeing a glowing object come on in, and then make a right angle turn over the village and start heading off to the west, which just so happened to lead to Coralito Ranch. So what we think we've got there is multiple different witnesses from different locations reporting the same object. They're able to trace the, the, the path it would have taken. Mm-hmm. So they saw it goes off, to, goes off to the west. Now, he said that when it came in, it was so low down. There was uh, off to the east of Coralito, there's a, a, a number, of, uh, number of hills. And he said, essentially, this thing would have had to have maneuvered between them. Otherwise, it would have just crashed into one of the hills. So if it had been going a straight line, so they didn't see it maneuver, but he assumed that at that height, it had either descended oh, yeah. to that height before they saw it, or it had done this between them. Now, I looked into this case, and obviously, you've got to look into mundane explanations. I always do, yeah. I'm always trying to mm-hmm. kind of fight as a mundane thing, yeah. I don't believe for a second that it was an aircraft that was reflecting uh, the early evening sunlight. Absolutely not. Uh, first of all, even if there was some kind of reflection, at that distance, you'd still be able to make out the wings and the tail. Uh, not forgetting, of course, he's the ranch hand who owns the airstrip and is used to seeing aircraft at all times of day and all sizes uh, come on in. Uh, so, in, And it was too, flying too slow. There, there was far too much that didn't fit with it being an aircraft. So then you look at it being a blimp. Well, blimps don't tend to have kind of glowing portholes along them. And let's <laughs> yeah. say 
blimp had caught fire, right? Let's say a blimp catches fire, you're like a big zeppelin type blimp. Yeah, just boss, no. yeah and when it goes, it goes very loud, yeah. They would have heard the explosion of yeah. that. Yeah, this thing broke up silently, yeah. So logically, it doesn't seem to fit with the blimp. Could it have been a meteorite? Well, you know, a number of years ago, obviously, we had the, uh, the, the meteorite that came in over That's Russia. Right. And some very, very fascinating, amazing uh, video footage of that, of that event. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the videos, it takes about two or three seconds to cross the yes. entire sky. And more importantly, it's got a huge trail behind it. That's right. It has no trail behind it. Uh, and also, meteorites tend to be on fire from the start of the sighting, not be not on fire and then suddenly burst into flames. So, yes. Uh, and it was moving too slow again. So there's there's far too many things that don't fit with any of those mundane explanations. Um, looking into it and looking into all the evidence for it, I have to entertain the notion that it's a genuine crash of a UFO that occurred in Venezuela. So, so the wrecks, so in theory, the wreckage for that could still be lying in the forest. Yeah. So what happened was, and uh, about a couple of months later, he said that the foliage of the area and everything had uh, dried out and everything. Um, mm-hmm. It was very waterlogged at the time, but it had dried out kind of in sort of March or time. Mm-hmm. He headed out there to the jungle to try and track down the... Uh, but he couldn't find anything, but he said essentially there was so much kind of vine growth, he said that the yeah. pieces could have been covered in, in vegetation and, you know, may still be lying out there to this day. But in order to actually find them, you'd have to go and, you know, scoot around miles and miles of, of, of deep jungle. In, but we've got the, the approximate location for where, if there was anything that survived, yeah, it could I, potentially be lost you, there in the trees right now. I mean, could you maybe try and use, like, satellite? But I know it's overgrown, but maybe there'd be some type of shape. Because a lot of cities, lost cities, have been found in jungles yeah, yeah. using satellites. Well, the, the main problem with that is obviously the trees. So we've got dense jungle trees covering the area, you know, like yeah. palm trees. Yeah. So it would have been dense foliage. So from the air, it just essentially just looks like a, a very deep forest. You can't yeah. really see much. You can't really see the ground. There's some areas that are clearer, but where they first saw it over the airstrip is kind of you know, grassland around the air, around the airfield. Mm-hmm. So it was clear there, but where the bits came down was very dense undergrowth. So it's, yeah, it does make you wonder whether the pieces are still out there right now, lost in the, in the trees. It, it makes you wonder that the, the yeah. government will be watching this, the new sending out a Chinook as we say. Yeah, they're out there right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, that's the only time I've, I've done this for 14 years now, and that's the first time that I've had what I believe is a genuine UFO crash. I've had some landing cases come my way. Yeah. Uh, some very fascinating, like we talked about earlier on, the Edmonton yes. case. But that's the only case involving what I believe is a genuine UFO crash. And, uh, and I think if you if you look into the witness testimony, by the way, the, uh, the there's detailed testimony from the witness inside the case report that's on the Bluefrog website. Uh, all the all the cases we're talking about, uh, I write up as very detailed case reports. Yes. You can find out all them and read more background detail on it. But his testimony absolutely checks out, you know, and the very very compelling. The details he went into and everything. I haven't been able to talk to He did try to get in, get in touch with one of his stepbrothers. Uh, one of them's mm-hmm. passed, on, uh, passed away, sadly. The other one's still alive, but he um, didn't really want to talk. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, people kind of, because of the subject, they're worried about yeah. the stigma and, uh, and the ridicule but and can, they don't want to go anywhere near but, it. But can you imagine finding wreckage from a shop? Yeah. I mean, that would, be that would change everything. I mean, 
Yeah. It would be the well, first, but then would you be allowed to, if you well, found it, would you, you be allowed to? Well, you say that, but I mean, some, I mean, they have been looking into, you know, some pieces of metal, obviously, that have been collected, That yes. and sometimes they have they have had very interesting isotopic ratios that tend to suggest mm-hmm. that they weren't made on this planet. Now, they, they haven't been kind of metal, they haven't been metals that don't exist on this planet, and that would be wild, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. But the the composition of the metal, you know, they, they've said is not, not been manufactured on Earth, apparently. But wow. the thing is, you've got these you've got these things that take place and everything, and you've got evidence that goes out there. But how many people, you know, properly listen to that and take it on board? Um, I mean, most of the scientific community are still kind of stuck with, uh, with you know, trying to shy away from the subject as much as possible. And that's because it's because of numerous reasons. It's not that it's not because they're not interested. Uh, I mean, science is governed by funding. So unless somebody's funding them to look into this thing. And then they've got also there's a lot of reputation and making sure your name isn't ridiculed. And we all know what happened with, uh, you know, with John Mack before looking into the abduction phenomena. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's been numerous scientists over the years that have looked into the subject and it's and it's gone negatively for them. You know, from, a, yeah. from other scientists in the community have kind of mm-hmm. pushed them away and sort of said you know, they're no longer kind of valid. So I think many, many scientists are kind of wary of that. And that's unfortunate because it kind of uh, dampens the, the subject and stops some of the kind of more hard evidence from coming out, unfortunately. It's, 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 the, same, it's the same in the paranormal community with ghost hunting. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they're afraid to do it in case they get ridiculed for... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Dakota, would you like to ask some questions? Because we've not got long left before the show ends. Actually, I do have one question. This was actually a very recent event that took place that may have actually been instigated because of this show. Mm-hmm. We had a gentleman by the name of Craig Kepel-Vassel on. He wrote the Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. Yes. We, towards the end of the show, we did a CE5 Spirit Box session. We used a phone app called the Necrophonic, which, in my experience, I've had messages come across that thing saying, behind you, behind you, and all of a sudden there's bright lights coming out of the sky flying mm-hmm. towards me, so just kind of, there's plenty of video of this online, but we did this, and we had a lot of responses, a lot of people that are in the chat right now can verify there was a lot of activity yeah. that happened. Yeah. But later that night, I initially went outside just to take out the garbage and not do anything special. I look up in the sky... And there's lightning popping off. Yeah. Now, I live in a very rural area. There's not a lot of sporting events or big, anything big like that that could cause that. No fireworks were going off. Yes, we do have an airport nearby, but you can clearly tell if it's the spotlight going around and if the yeah. clouds are thick enough, you can see it spinning. I looked at all the detail. There was no sound coming from it. I looked at all the websites, all the flight data, nothing. I could not find any details of anything supposed to be in the sky at that time frame. Yes. Have you ever had anything like that happen? Yeah, numerous. So, I mean, it depends on what you're, you're talking about. Something that looks like sheet lightning. Did it look like sheet lightning? Yeah, it just looked like upper atmosphere lightning. Not really severe enough to cause any thunder, but enough to where you could clearly tell there's something going on above. Yeah, yeah. Because you can sometimes get, obviously, you know, there's a type of, you know, sheet lightning is called, you know, which is where you've got no thunderclaps, you know, you've just got, like, the, the flashes yeah. in the in the clouds 
as a type of, uh, of lightning storm. So, I mean, it could have been that, obviously. Um, other things that we've had have been, have included, uh, obviously you've got bioluminescence in, in clouds. Sometimes certain cloud types can, can have a glow mm-hmm. to them, but that's, it's not like what you're describing. It's kind of more like they're the whole evening, you know, and you can just see it. Uh, then you've got the uh, blue lights that are seen in the sky. Sometimes I still get those reported to me. Uh, and that's essentially rail works. They're doing a uh, nighttime rail work repair. And they and they shine, uh, you know, blue UV type lights, and they reflect off the clouds, and it creates this really wild, proper bright blue glow in the sky. You know, that unless you know what you're looking at, you're like, wow, why is the sky glowing blue? Yeah. You know, it's got to be like a spaceship up there or something. Yeah, yeah uh, I see that. Yeah. Then you've got you know, obviously you've got your um, uh, nightclub lights as well, or le- sometimes lasers from a uh, from you know from shows that are going on. But again, what you're describing doesn't sound like that. I mean, the closest thing I'd I'd say to what you saw there is, is sheet lightning. Uh, it all depends on whether there were actually was kind of stormy conditions at the time, or or if it was supposed to be clear. Cause... No, it was cloudy at the time. It, yeah, it was. There was a snowstorm earlier that day. Yes. I went on all the meteorological websites for the area. Nothing registered for yeah. that time frame. Yeah. And I was just like, what? The only thing <laughs> that suggested close to me was that there was a police standoff a few miles up the road from me. And right. they had they had a little drone out. And it would be about one of those typical yeah. four, three, four foot wide drones. I was like, That'd be mighty impressive if a drone did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound like it was that. It sounds far too uh, sort of wide scale and dramatic for that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I mean it's part, it's, it is entirely possible that these objects, you know, may affect um, you know, clouds and, and create kind of electrical discharge off them. I mean, there's been numerous cases over the years where people have seen them at close proximity and, and have felt kind of static type effects coming off them. Uh, you know, or kind of smelt electricity in the air, kind of like the smell you get before a thunderstorm, this sort of thing. Uh, both of those things tend to imply that they have some sort of electrical field around them, at least some of the time, that, that may affect, them, you know, that might essentially have reacted with the clouds and maybe started up kind of electrical activity in the clouds. You know, so that could have been a link there. And, and this is just a theory. I'm not saying that it was that, you know, I'm just saying that, <laughs> I was like, I, I'm not exactly sure what to call it. Uh, yeah. I I asked people, I was like, have you ever had this happen? It's like, I've heard of it, but never seen it. I was like, great. I know that. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I've seen. I can't think of any cases where that direct thing has, has been reported. Not, a, But then there's a lot of researchers out there all investigating different cases, you know, and if you collect yeah. collected them all together. I mean, obviously I know a lot of people in the community and I'll reach out and often speak with other researchers just to see if they've had any, especially where there's more unusual aspects, especially with uh, contact. So let's say, for example, the person has re- reported having a particular kind of piece of uh, machinery or instrument used on them. I'll often check around to see if anybody else. But there's a wide variety of things. But then why wouldn't there be? There is, if you think about the human race and the amount of different types mm-hmm. of machinery and the amount of different vehicles that we've got, aerial land on the ground, why would it not be the same for other species? I exactly. mean, I mean, I find that I find that so interesting these alien craft, how they fly. Yeah. I mean, the, what do you think the propulsion is? I mean, it's, yeah. it's anti gravity. I mean, it's, it's absolutely it's yeah. yeah. I mean. I mean what, some, Whatever they're doing, they're, you know, they're able to kind of shut themselves off from the uh, from yeah. the outside environment, which allows them to perform right angle turns, shoot off at thousands of miles an hour like a bullet, uh, go from air down in under the water or back out of the sea, uh, e- easy as pie. Um, yeah. 
you know, that shows that they're kind of separated by this field around them from the outside mm-hmm. environment, which is obviously it would kill a human pilot, you know, if it was just an mm-hmm. aircraft just doing that, the G-forces would just obliterate you. Mm-hmm. So that kind of shows that now exactly how much they, they understand behind the scenes on this depends on how much back engineering they may or may, or may not have done of the, you know, on these craft over the years. The, you know, the, the, I mean, I can't imagine, let's say, let's take for example, Roswell, yeah, back in 1947, I can't imagine they would have put that craft away in a cardboard box somewhere and not looked at it and not tried to work out yeah. now, how far they got with that, you know, is, is open to interpretation, isn't it? Obviously, if you believe Philip Corso, they went quite far with that and started to, you know, push it out into technology and that's and, and it's quite plausible that they would do that they would back engineer it and if they did yeah. make new discoveries from it then they may well push them out into normal industry and they may well form some of the things that we have today uh, I, you know, I can't say it's outside of the realms of possibility but i think that they would largely use it for um, military type purposes oh, yes. to, to gain the upper hand they would try to weaponize it and i think that that would be why they wouldn't want to share that with with other countries because they wouldn't want other countries to have that same technology of course it's... i bet yeah i bet you a billion dollars the government <laughs> the u.s the u.s government have got something stashed away that they've back engineered they've took the technology from oh, it and it's probably spying yeah. on russia it's probably spying on china mm. as we sit here and talk mm. you know yeah. And I think what's happened with the uh, with the UOP report and and uh, the Pentagon's admissions over the last few years is very very early stages disclosure. It's them acknowledging that there is something to it, and it's not a subject to be laughed at. And I think that that alone is is a great thing to have that come out to be kind of finally validated. And lots of people in the community have felt very good about that. Now, obviously, the report itself didn't have anything like the detail in that people were hoping for, and nor did it say we've been visited by aliens. It didn't say that. But the details that it did provide were fascinating. The fact that they, they claimed that they looked into 144 incidents and could only identify one out of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is top level experts in the Pentagon. You know, we're not talking about just kind of, you know, kind of aviation kind of experts from home doing this. We're talking about the Pentagon. So if they can't yeah. identify them, they're sort of saying they're, they're not balloons. You know, they're not drones. Yeah. You know, there's something very, very advanced going on with this. Uh, and if, if the things are performing uh, intelligent, intelligently, which they are, and they're interacting with their pilots and interacting in a way that shows that they're making manoeuvres, yeah. uh, you know, intelligent manoeuvres, then that shows that it's not just... Yeah, it's all robotic, but there's, yeah. some, there's some kind of intelligence behind it. Yeah, yeah and, and it's fascinating. Being interrupted with, yeah. I mean, uh, when you when you kind of realise that, when you kind of realise that reality, it can't fail to be anything other than fascinating, you know. And, and it surprises me the the lack of people who kind of do what I do. You know, there's there's not that many UFO groups, especially not in the UK, who mm. are who are dedicating their time looking into this subject. And I'm surprised because of the amount of evidence on record supporting its reality. It's, uh, but I suppose a lot of people want to read about the evidence online, but not necessarily do stuff directly, because it does take up a lot of time and effort. Well, yeah. Visiting people and so writing the case reports and things like that. You know, I'm not, there's no money to be made in it. <laughs> and I don't really want that to be either, really, because it's not, it's not why I'm in this, but I'm not, you know, I'm not in it to earn money. You know, I'm just kind of yes. trying to do my Same part. Truth. Disclosure, I suppose, in a way. You're, find, you're, you're trying to find the truth yeah. of what they are. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been a really good night, and uh, thank you for coming, Dave. No problem at all. Good uh, love you, chat. Please, guys, could you please visit 
Birmingham UFO Group on Facebook, YouTube, all the links to every site you've sent me, Dave, is below this video once it's uploaded. Everything will be there, especially Facebook, YouTube, and everywhere else. So, guys, thank you very much for coming tonight. Uh, Dakota, would you like to say anything before we go off? Uh, no, just again, thank you, Dave, for coming on. It's definitely been a quite an interesting night, and I noticed that my EMF is still going off. Yeah. <laughs> so I imagine I might have something happen tonight. But oh yes, everyone, do be safe out there. Be remember, we do now have an official website, baldandbonkers.net. Do check that out. It is still technically under construction, but yes. We got a lot on the plate coming, so please do check us out on all the platforms, Parapost. I'm not going to label them all off because we're going no, way too far. There's 50 of them. I tried to do a video through the week, and I could, <laughs> there was just too many of them, you know. But thank you, Dave, for coming on, and okay, thank you, everybody in the chat, and everybody in the postcard side. Have a great day tomorrow, and we'll see you on Saturday next week. Yeah, Take care, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.